On this episode, Kelsey ruins my life with the music of Andrew McMahon. And today was just like any other day. <laughs> and today was a day just like any other day. How does it go? Today was a day just like any other. Hit it! Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like, the things you like so much that they have ruined your life, hence the name of the podcast. I am Jason. I'm Kelsey. Hey, Kelsey. What's up, Jason? Not much. Just explain the concept for a podcast off the top. Real succinctly, you did a good job. Thank you. I'm trying to clean that up a little bit, but I feel like it's, 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 all, it's all there. It's all there. It's all there. I it's mean, there. we're just 20 episodes in. We're still sort of, you know... In the you know, woods here. You know, it hasn't even been a year. It's 20 episodes. That's young, right? That's still young. Well, think of how many podcasts, you know, didn't get good until like... You 400? Know, you, you, go, you, you, go, <laughs> you go back into the Mabim Bam archives, you can't go back to the first 150 episodes. <laughs> That's a full like three years of just garbage. Yeah. It's a long ramp up is what I'm saying and that's okay. It's okay. We'll get better. Yeah, yeah, we'll get better. We're not, we're not, a, we're not one of those big uh, out the gate podcasts. No, we're, we're not a serial. We're not a shit town. Nope. We're 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 um, a cult classic. We should probably do a podcast about podcasts at some point. I've been thinking about that, and we should. But what would it be? What would it be? What would it be? Like what podcast would it? be? Yes, about? what podcast would it be? We need to do multiple podcast episodes, or. I guess we can just probably do one at a time. Yeah. I mean, just doing a whole podcast about Mabim Bam, like, is that too meta? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's maybe that's gonna be our niche. Meta. Meta. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> back to the topic. Um, back to the episode. But that's maybe we should stop doing episode planning live on the air. Yeah. I say live because this goes out live. People can hear us. Oh yeah, people can hear us right now. Uh, someone just give us a radio show. We could we could be good for like a minute to ninety seconds between songs. Come on. Hey, speaking of songs, great moment for a segue because this episode's all about them. Songs. Songs. <laughs> the songs all composed and written by one man, one Andrew McMahon. Nice. Of something corporate. And then he sort of split off and did his own thing with Jack's Mannequin and is currently producing music under the name Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness. Correct. Do you do we want to pin down what sort of genre he works in at the very least before we get going? Yeah, I think Andrew Andrew McMahon is a I'm gonna say piano rock slash electronic piano rock <laughs> musician. Um depending on what era of of his oeuvre you are um, discussing. Uh, like, currently, I feel like it's a lot more synth. <laughs> um, but that's pop music right now. <laughs> um, but, like, something corporate is, is hev- heavier on the piano. Um, does that... I would say something corporate is more heavy on guitar. Well, yeah. Like, something, but... something corporate, I'd say, is more of an emo... Because I think it's like an emo band. band. Yeah. Pop punk emo yeah. band. And then I would say his um, yeah, his Jack's Mannequin stuff is a lot more piano rock, yeah. but still with the alternative rock edge to it. It's not straight, like, Ben Fold-style piano than rock. Me, so please use your, your talents of describing well, I'm, music. I'm sorry for putting you on the spot then. It's okay. I'm not very good at it either. You are. You're very good at talking about music, Jason. I'm just, I'm just better enough than you that you think it's good, but it's actually not very good. So think about how low you are on the uh Somehow you list. managed to take a compliment to you <laughs> and turn it as an insult to me. I don't know how you did that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kelsey. It's okay. And then, yeah, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness is basically indie pop or straight pop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that's not really what we're here to talk about anyway. We're here to talk about you. Me. Your life. Now, when did you first encounter the music of Andrew McMahon? I want to say that it was middle school. Like, I have a notoriously bad memory, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I know that I waited for the second Something Corporate album to come out, the second oh. full-length album to come out. So 
I think Leaving Through the Window came out in, yeah, 2002. Um, Leaving Through the Window is the... Is the first full-length... The the first full-length album. First full-length album from something corporate. And I honestly don't know where I heard it or... I don't know, maybe it was on MySpace or something. (laughs) But um, maybe it was on the radio. Who knows? I still listen to the radio then. But I had I had the CD. I remember that. Um, I bought the CD, um, and I just I really liked it. I remember waiting for North to come out, and it being disappointing. <laughs> but yeah, so let's see. May of two thousand two, I was in sixth grade, so probably like seventh 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 grade. Okay. So um, this this is when I was at my like most emo phase. Really? Of life, probably, where I like thought that was like the cool thing to be when I was like shopping on Hot Topic and shit. Uh, it is the cool thing to be. <laughs> Just, you know, FYI. I feel like my emoness has come on more in cycles than being like condensed to one point. I think like, uh, I think there's a difference between being emo and thinking emo is cool. Do you remember what it was that first drew you to their music aside from the fact that it was cool to be sad? it's cool to be sad um i have always really liked piano in like rock music that is i think pretty prevalent in in leaving through the window i i like the songwriting i i um i think that that was what that was what kept me there definitely i was a 12 year old who heard the song punk rock princess and thought it was adorable and wanted to be that girl um to, uh or not adorable but you know aspirational which it's not <laughs> listen don't don't be jealous okay just as we can't all grow up like me to be a punk rock princess yeah don't don't denigrate the the iconography yeah yeah i mean like because that was definitely the first song i heard and then i bought the album and like actually connected with a lot of the other songs more mm. In what in what way do you remember what you connected with about them? I mean the like the actual musicality of them, like because Punk Rock Princess is I think a pretty standard like emo rock song, um, but like my favorite song on Leaving Through the Window is Kevin on Park, which is a, just a piano jam. <laughs> it's like all piano and it's really slow and I think it's really pretty. Um, like my favorite songs on that tend to be the the slower the slower more pianoy ones. That one and and Globes and Maps is really good. Um, but I also like that that whole album is really formative, I guess. Um in like what I like in that kind of music, I guess. So it might be harder to pick up on what it was about that music that caught your attention when your sort of interests were shaped by it in a way. Exactly. Yes. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. Do you have a favorite Andrew McMahon uh album or even a favorite Andrew McMahon era? I know it's hard because I I feel about all of the eras very differently and I and they're like sort of divided for me but sort of not. It's it's weird because I never got to see something corporate live um cuz I was, you know, not of like concert going age really when when they were still in existence cuz they broke up in like 2004ish, yeah. right? I mean, and I'd been to concerts by then, but like it wasn't like something I sought out. Yeah. Um and so I, I don't have a super great impression of, like, what their live experience would be like. Um, but, like, that Leaving Through the Window is just, like, such a formative album for me that I – and I love it so much and I can always go back to it. But I think, like, as far as music that's, like, important to me and, and really, like, spoke to me, like, Everything in Transit is just, like, such an important album as when it came out in my life. Like, it came out in 2005 when I was, like – I want to say probably at like the lowest point of my depression in high school and like when I was like coming home and crying all the time and like uh yeah like and it was like probably what I listened to on repeat because feelings (laughs) um like it's not like the lyrics spoke to me or anything but like I felt like with the music like I the music expressed how I was feeling (laughs) And, like, the same with Glass Passenger, which is the second Jack's Mannequin album, even more, like, lyrically spoke to me because it's it's about, like, him trying to beat cancer. And so it's, it's like, sort of uplifting but also sad at the same time. 
on your playlist that I gave you, I gave you the entirety of everything in transit because that album is really just like important and still speaks to me today. And like, like I said, not necessarily like lyrically, but musically, I still really love it. Um, so it's less of a, um, it sounds like it's less of a one-to-one, like this song is about this and I'm going through this, this sort of exact thing right now. Yeah. Than just a general, uh, you're responding to more the spirit of the songs. Yeah. Like I feel like everything in transit could be the soundtrack to like my junior year of high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and I listened to a lot of Jack's Mannequin in college too, but College is kind of, but not as much as in high school and, and nothing new really came out when I was in college from any of his various projects. So it, like my college experience isn't really marked by Unhinged McMahon uh, era. And then Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness was like emerging when I moved to New York. Like he had released like singles and stuff. Um, when I moved to New York and so that's kind of been now so it like has a lot happier to like memories I guess or like tonally it feels happier to me um that's fair I mean the Jack's mannequin stuff and very much the something corpus stuff is about being a young troubled person trying to find their way in the world because it's written by a person who I presume was going through that same sort of thing mm-hmm. and a guy who you know like Fought cancer. Yeah. That's also part of it. <laughs> and whereas the wilderness stuff is written by a guy who's happily married and has a kid. And beat cancer. And beat cancer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> even even now, like, beyond what it meant to you in high school, is there a specific album you go to over and over again? Like, do you revisit everything in transit often? Enough. I think I think because like lyrically the stuff speaks to me more on Glass Passenger, that's the one I revisit, like if I'm sad. Um <laughs> but everything in transit, like they did a ten year anniversary concert for it that uh Katie and I won tickets to. Or Katie won tickets to and she took me. <laughs> Katie Katie Warden, friend of the podcast. Katie Warden, friend of the podcast. Katie, friend of the podcast, Warden. Professional concert goer. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's professional. It's more just a very active hobby. Very active. <laughs> very active. Um, and that was like, it had been a while since I'd listened to any of Jack's Mannequin. And it, I, it kind of like underestimated like the emotional toll it was going to take on me. We have sort of a recurring theme emerging here with you seeing artists live. <laughs> yeah. You, you go and think it's going to be a hunky-dory and I'm going to sing a few tunes and have a good time. Well, it's like and then I, you spend the whole concert crying. I had seen. I had seen him do his solo stuff and a lot of his solo concerts he does old old stuff and like it's like one song of me being like uh. <laughs> <laughs> but this was like they just played everything in transit from beginning to end so it was like oh okay <laughs> it wasn't to the extent of like Dixie Chicks like I'm bawling my eyes out because this music means so much to me and I don't know what to do with myself but it was like oh okay I didn't realize how much I connected to this as, as a kid as a as a youth you definitely went on a journey went on a journey yeah mm-hmm. okay is there anything that like um I guess if Glass Passenger is the one you turn to the most I think like the songs from it are like speak to me the most lyrically um but honestly i think the one that will always resonate with me the most is probably leaving through the window or something corporate just because i love it i still love it i still think it's a great album i still think it plays <laughs> like I, I think it i think you could release it today and it would feel the same to me and i would like it just as much how do you feel generally speaking about his evolution as an artist and the, the way his sound has changed over the years I mean, like, I feel like he's grown with me and not away from me, necessarily. Um, like, I feel like his sound is, is much more adult. Not more adult now, but like you said, it's like the music he's making now is he's, you know, a grown man with a, a kid and a wife and is fairly fulfilled in life. And, like, there's a recognition of that in the music. It's brighter. Yeah, that's a really good descriptor i would say more polished too 
Yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, I think it's a fair descriptor of how the music has changed. Definitely. Definitely. I think, um, you asked me about the crowd at the first show that I went to, but I can tell you about the crowd at the last show that I went to. Please um, do. Uh, cause I remember that one cause it was like two months ago. <laughs> oh, were we ever so young? Um, it was so, it was so strange because like there was clearly a good portion of people who are like age 25 to 35 who had like grown up with this music. Um, maybe some older than that as well, but that was like, that was like, I think the main group, but then there was also like a bunch of like people under like 22, like 18 to 22 <laughs> who were like, had just heard Andrew Man in the wilderness and had no idea that Jack's mannequin was also him, that something corporate was also him. Well, let's give them a little credit. How did you know they didn't know that those were also him? I know somewhat because when he played songs by those bands, which he does in most of his concerts, they didn't know them like they knew the rest of them. But uh, maybe they just prefer the new stuff. Maybe they just prefer the new stuff. But yeah, it was just it's, it's always kind of weird to go see somebody that you've been following for a long time. When they have like a new, there's definitely like a a surge of new fans. No, I'm teasing, but it is weird. Yeah. I mean, every band is different, but when I saw Fall Fall Out Boy for the first time last year, I was amazed at how many people there were. People like people like, you know, my age. Yeah. And Katie's age. Yeah. The sort of uh, ex-emo kid demographic secretly not x but there's also like just a bunch of like you know 14 and like 13 year olds even that had their parents bring them <laughs> and i'm like i mean i know fallout boy even more so than like andrew mcmahon is like a big you know yeah top 40 pop act but it, it, you know, it there's this weird disconnect where i know younger people listen to old music because i do it too yeah you do it too as well it's like not every band i enjoy is like a band i was with from the ground floor mm-hmm. but when you see like really young people at like a uh the concert for an established band it's your, your brain just some reasons can't quite get around it right it's like well, when did you listen to it that's not right <laughs> wait no this is mine this is my thing my generation gets this thing did you get into this music their music now because that's when you're this age you should be listening listen to the music they were making 10 years ago what what, what are you doing this isn't right <laughs> you're not having the right experience yeah i don't know maybe that's just me but it's a very no i i feel the same way i don't ever say that because i don't want to police anybody's experience like it's okay to police people's experiences at concerts because people often have the wrong experience. <laughs> if you're holding your phone up during the whole concert, you're having the wrong experience. You and, are. And I want to police you. I won't because I don't want to get into a fight because I don't want to get beat up or yelled at. But I will judge you forever. Like, you want to record one song or a snippet of a song, you want to send it to your friend, I'm fine with that. But if your phone is up the entire concert, what are you doing? What are you enjoying? Get out. Leave. Get out. I'm done with you. Have somebody fucking, I'm sure you can find a friggin' YouTube video of this whole concert <laughs> to experience it the same way. Uh, but then there's also just people like when you see an act that has like one or two big songs yeah. who only know that song. Yeah. That's another kind of judgment I have where it's oh, like, yeah. why did you, did you, 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 you spent like at least like 60 bucks and this is your whole night and you know two of these songs? See, I've definitely been that person, but it's only because someone gave me a free ticket to that concert. To be fair. Yeah. yeah, that's that's reasonable. What I'm more thinking about is when I saw uh, Gauthier live. Yeah. And he sang somebody that I used to know. Yeah. Like two or three songs before the end of the concert. Yeah. Or I remember there being, there was at least 20 minutes more music coming up. Yeah. And it clearly wasn't done. But once that song was over, more than half the crowd got up and left. Wow. It was, I was so like, I felt bad for him and I felt embarrassed to be part of the crowd. <laughs> I'm guessing it wasn't that bad at the Andrew McMahon show because, I don't know, I have a hard time believing someone could hear just one single Andrew McMahon song and think, oh, that's it. That's his thing. Yeah, I, I don't... Nobody nobody left at the wrong time that I thought, at least. Um, it's always a really fun show. He usually crowd surfs some. Um, really? Yeah. His music is so not crowd surfing music. <laughs> But I guess if I was a musician, no matter what kind of music I'd made, I'd want to crowd surf. So, right. Yeah. Um, Got to gotta be fair. I think they told him that maybe at this this particular venue or this particular concert, he couldn't like actually crowd surf. But he had like a, a big, giant, inflated raft shaped like a duck. 
that he like sailed over in the crowd. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Wait, he was in the He was in the, the raft. raft. Yeah. On top of the crowd or like suspended above the crowd? On top of like we we were pushing him. <laughs> so he was still crowd surfing. He's still crowd surfing, but like in a vessel. That's fantastic. It was awesome. <laughs> what a great workout. And there's around. usually um during synesthesia, every time I've seen him at least, he um takes out like a big parachute. You know, like the ones you used to play with in gym class. Yeah, yeah. And everyone in the crowd gets under it, and he get he goes out into the middle of it and like sings. This is starting to sound a little bit twee. It's a little twee. This is getting a little bit like a Sufjan Stevens concert where we're all children again, and I'm wearing a fucking Boy Scout uniform and angel wings. That's weird. I don't like Sufjan Stevens. I don't really know. His music is beautiful. He seems like an obnoxious person. No, it's just like those two moments. Come fight me, Sufjan. <laughs> those two moments, and I think they're fun. I like when I like when performers go into the crowd <laughs> and keep singing. No, it sounds it actually it does sound like a lot of fun. Like if yeah. that happened to me, I would like lose my mind. Like oh shit! When I saw him at Forecastle, we were in the front row, which was awesome because like he was not really like the vibe of Forecastle that year. So like it was a smaller stage and a and a smaller crowd because it was also during the day and it was fucking hot um it was the middle of july in kentucky it was really hot can't wait to get under a big old parachute but i was in like the front row and he like came out off the stage and like was like inches away from my face <laughs> singing at me it was awesome <laughs> oh, sounds intense it was it was awesome what song was it when he was singing at you god i don't even remember did you just like white out i might have <laughs> Let me ask you this. Yeah. What is your least favorite Andrew McMahon song? Ooh. Or album or group of songs or whatever. What part of his discography do you... My least favorite album is North, which is the uh, second something corporate album. It's the last one, right? I believe it's the last one, yeah. Um, I just like... I didn't think it was as good. There was... The songs aren't as strong. There was a lot less of what I liked about the first album. Piano? Yeah, I mean, there's still some, but it's just not as much. And it didn't, like, hit the emotional notes that I wanted it to. How old were you when North came out? Uh, 13, 14. Oh, okay. So that was a weird age for me. Like, Is there a normal age? For me, probably not. <laughs> there's always something crappy happening. <laughs> yeah. uh, no. I mean, I just say yeah, I just remember not just being sort of disappointed that it wasn't not more like leaving through the window, but like it just felt like a different band without being a different band like Jack's Mannequin was. Um, and a band I liked less. <laughs> Do you think that might be any way owing to Andrew McMahon being ready to sort of strike out on his own and move away from this band and this Maybe. style? Maybe. Hmm. Sounds like it just didn't connect with you that much. Yeah. Do you still not listen to North very much? Not really. Hmm. Um, and maybe I, like, I should go back. Maybe it would resonate with me more now. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I just wasn't right in the, in the right headspace. Worth the shot. Yeah. That's one of the fun things about being a fan of a artist, especially a musician that produces a lot of work is that you get to find the good things and even the albums that are either your least favorite or objectively the worst. (laughs) Like I'm a Weezer fan. There's a lot of room for that. (laughs) <laughs> they have a lot of space that. to explore like what's the one good part of this this album this album yeah it's just it's funny to me because north is the uh has the one something corporate song that i knew from before we began this whole <laughs> adventure that seems like a good segue i know that's why i did it jason do you have any preconceived notions about andrew man uh just one what was that and i cannot tell you if i downloaded it or if it was sent to me but from the age of like 14 through whenever the computer I have now is 14 died, which was probably when I was 16, <laughs> I had a very low resolution of file of Break Myself by something corporate from the North album on my computer. Yeah. Uh, because I had a internet girlfriend when I was 14 years old <laughs> who was very emo very into the scene, very into the music. Yeah. I don't know if she sent it to me or if I just downloaded it because I heard she liked it. But that song was sticks out very clearly in my mind from that point in time. And that point in time is very murky, especially when it comes to music. Yeah. But that song I listened to over and over and over again. Okay. 
And considering it's a song about, um, I mean, it's it's kind of abstract in a lot of ways, but I sort of took it to be a song about emotionally martyring yourself. Yeah, the fact that I, I, I actually listened to it after we had this conversation. The fact that I sort of it sort of struck it so deep a chord in me is uh, maybe telling. That's a that's also another chicken or the egg sort of thing, you know. Yeah. No. I'm not sure what came first. <laughs> yeah, probably the deep seated emotional issues. I would imagine those tend to come first. Yes. Yeah, but that that song, I it's it's a it's a banger. <laughs> it is a banger. It's a banger for feeling like everything you touch turns to shit. Uh... So the, and that and I had that song like and I, that was obviously like the one part of that band I knew, but I knew it very well. Mm-hmm. And so when Jack's mannequin came around and I heard the mixtape or saw it on, you know, VH1 or something. Cause it was, it was a nominal hit. I guess yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was, there was a music video and it played on VH1 probably at like three in the morning. Yep. But I still heard, I heard it and I recognized his voice immediately. Jumpstart. Well, Jumpstart was their early morning block. Yeah. I'm talking about the stuff they played from like midnight oh, to 4 a.m. Oh, the late night block. I spent a lot of time, especially like mostly summers in high school, staying up until like 4 a.m. just with VH1 playing in the background. Yeah, I can relate. Same? Same. Same. <laughs> and so obviously that, that that song didn't have as big of an impact on me, but I recognized his voice, you know, yeah. it's very distinctive. Mm-hmm. And I knew that song and I knew people around me, um, you know, possibly other Sad girlfriends that were into, into this band. Sad women, let's say. Sad women on the periphery. Sad lady band. <laughs> I knew and enjoyed this band. And that was my whole impression of it until until I heard um, Cecilia Cecilia and Satellite on the, on the radio driving up from North Carolina one, one day. Nice. So that would have been, I guess, 2013 or 14. So yeah. that would have been before. Well, we, that album came out in 2014. So 2014 then, I imagine. Mm, I think. And I recognized his voice again immediately. I was, like, I, was like, I was like, damn, how many bands this dude got? <laughs> Three. Three. More or less, turns more out. Else, yeah. And I and I knew and, and that that uh, since Andrew McMahon and the Wilderness kicked off, his those singles have played a lot on like the alternative uh rock station on the on series, satellite, on radio. Series, satellite radio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should just say satellite radio. I shouldn't give them free um marketing. <laughs> Who cares? Alt Nation. Alt Alt Nation. I listen to a lot of Alt Nation. So you I hear give I, us a radio show on Alt Nation. Alt Nation with Jason and Kelsey. Yeah. No, but th- those singles get a lot of play on there. So I am familiar, and at least vaguely familiar with all of those singles from those albums, yeah. those two albums, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, five songs total. Yeah. And I like them. Yeah. I got I downloaded Cecilia and the Satellite as pretty much as soon as I heard it because I liked it a lot. Yeah. It's and a then, good I found, song. then I found out it's about his infant daughter and I liked it a lot less. I'm sorry. Okay. It's an odd metaphor. It doesn't really work. His strength is not like direct, like extended metaphors, though. But I don't understand how you can be like a satellite when your daughter is the sky. Because satellite flies through the sky. Exactly. Like it makes more sense if, if he's the satellite and his daughter is the planet that the satellite is orbiting yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he means the sky just of the planet, so like the stratosphere specifically. Maybe. Again, the song works. Or that it... like she holds him up, sort of. Isn't he holding her up though? I don't know. <laughs> the song works if we don't delve too much into the She's metaphor. She's an infant. She can't even hold her own head up. She can't hold him up too. He's a grown I mean, man. She's like two now. Yeah. <laughs> she can hold her head up. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so that and then you know you sort of you sent me this playlist, mm-hmm. this this uh, and boy this this I swear to God this mix, it could sink the sun. It this could. this playlist you put together for me. Yeah, you get that? That's from the song. I I did. Okay, great. And uh, as you mentioned, I didn't realize it was the entirety of. It's the entirety of everything in transit. Everything. But I like that album a lot. I can see you do too. Yes. <laughs> and I, my overall feelings about it are very positive. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, I like how bad his voice is. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad, but he's not, he's not a talented singer. No, I don't. I mean, bad in in the sense of distinctive. It's very distinctive. Yeah, I guess it is. And by that, I mean good. So when I say bad, I mean good. D- Listen, no. I like singers that have distinctive voices. I under I don't understand. <laughs> I feel like okay. I feel like this is not a great metaphor, but like a very talented singer with like a high, like a like a strong range yeah. and all that sort of like the, the good equipment becoming it's, becoming a, a pop singer is like a very tall kid getting drafted to play college basketball 
I get that. Okay, yes. I understand. This is actually an okay metaphor. Oh, great. Go it, on. It, it doesn't take away from their ability or skill and doesn't yeah. make it less fun to watch. But, but they have a natural physical gift. Yeah, and there's a feeling of like, well, did you really have a choice? <laughs> Whereas like when someone like Andrew McMahon, who has, you know, is, is not a bad singer, but has, a, has not, you know, the world's prettiest voice. Yeah. Uh, you know, you really feel like they really wanted it. Yeah. Like, they really needed to get something out. Yeah. That's the thing. His voice is very expressive. Yeah. It communicates a lot of emotion. That's true. I like that sort of pop punk vocalist sound. I do too. I feel like it's sort of, I, I, I can't always follow it when he's sort of like, because as he's gotten older and moved away from the pop punk sound or yeah. the emo sound rather, to be more accurate, his, his, he sort of, his voice doesn't really lend itself to that style as much. The new style or the, the new style? The new style. Sure. Okay. Like, there's a certain level of polish that you have to have on your your voice to really like do the sort of songs he's trying to do in the Wilderness albums. Okay. I mean, generally speaking, I prefer the earlier stuff that you sent me. Yeah. Although I like a lot of the songs on uh, in the Wilderness, those mm-hmm. albums. Although I feel like I would just sort of like if if I'd already like grown attached to this artist and he was he began making these these albums. Yeah. I would really enjoy them. Yeah. Because like they're not they're they're not really a creative step down. They're just maybe not to my preference so much. Yeah. And even though I like you know I like pop songs a lot. Mm-hmm. Like nothing against pop songs at all. I I love a you know a big hook, and a lot of his. Oh, I know you do. Oh, I love me a big hook. <laughs> I'm like that. Um, there's nothing there. <laughs> just trying to think of a big hook in in, in 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 culture, but there's really not one. Like a vaudeville stage manager. Yeah, it's more of a cane though. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, a you hook. You get the hook. No, I should have gone with that. You're right. <laughs> and like a lot, his songs, early songs have bigger, big hooks too. Like mm-hmm. he's always had pop sensibilities. I think he's always been able to write a big hook. Yeah. Loves, loves, loves him a big hook. <laughs> is the word hook really funny or is it just me? I don't know. Um, I'm loving this word right now. Anyway. Um, what was I saying? Like, all I can think now, about now is Captain Hook. And like what if like Peter Pan got some of that magic dust on his hook and his hook just grew like like... 10 stories tall. It's a big ass hook. <laughs> That's what Andrew's been writing all these years. But there's a certain, when you start, when you move away from like a messier, like alt rock or pop punk or emo sound into trying to make like just basically like pop songs, mm-hmm. there's a smaller target you have to hit, if that makes any sense. And like, I, I like, you know, Cecilia and the Satellite, I like So Close. Mm-hmm. You know, I, li- I like Island Radio, I like Love and Great Buildings. I like Love and Great Buildings a lot. All Our Lives, High Dive too. Yeah. And I Say So Close. Yeah. That one too. I've heard that one. That's not I think, new. I think Love and Great Buildings is my favorite song from the newest album. But then there's a song like Fire Escape. You don't like that one? I don't care for it. Why? Um, It's very much, I mean, it sort of fits a very standard mold of a pop song. Like, we stayed all night drinking and until we stayed up until the morning sun came up and it's the best night of our lives. Yeah. Uh, what he, you know, he, it's not that he doesn't execute that with like a certain level of detail and, and finesse and finesse thank you and skill mm-hmm. um but i feel like the the chorus doesn't really work because it feels like i don't i'm not trying to ascribe an intention here that he doesn't actually have yeah but it feels like he's trying to do a big just you know radio friendly song and it's just not really landing I can see that. like if, it feels like he wrote it to be a single yeah and if you write a song to be a single or just to be like radio friendly mm-hmm. and again i'm not trying to denigrate his work or ascribe false mm-hmm. motive but if, you, if it feels like he's trying to do that and if you try to make a song that's radio friendly and you miss it's a lot more obvious than if you make a song that's just more album album oriented or like yeah. meant to be less polished and you miss mm-hmm. there's a little bit more room for error there yeah i like fire escape i think it's catchy as hell but but it's not my favorite song on the album i specifically think the moment where he transitions from the uh the the, the pre-chorus to the chorus is very awkward I'm trying to like remember it now. Let's hang an anchor from the sun. But you number one. <laughs> that was not good. I know it's not a great song. That's <laughs> okay. It's it's fine. I'm just saying it's like a gospel song. I know, like fine. I said, it's not my favorite song, but I can see why it's a single. Um, I that's kind of my point too. Yeah. Um, and Stephanie's in the video. Oh yeah, I didn't check that out. Hey, Stephanie. <laughs> Friend of, the podcast. Friend of the podcast. Well, I'm glad you liked it. 
Can I have a little sidebar here, though? Sure. Because there's a song on this playlist, uh, Dead Man's Dollar. Yeah. And I want to propose a moratorium uh, on bands making songs about how hard it is to tour and to support their music. Why? Generally, songs I think about, you know, rock stars saying how hard it is to be a rock star are kind of not good. <laughs> but specifically, and like I'm sort of still in my feelings about uh, the Coheed and Cambria show I saw recently. Okay. Because <laughs> since uh, the lead singer of Coheed and Cambria got married and had a kid, he sort of has woven the like the theme into his music of how it's sort of hard to be away from his family as much as he is being sure. a performer by trade. I think that's not unlike Andrew Mann. Exactly. But it, it was easier to take when uh, Coheed and Cambria were making concept albums. So like it was, there was a veneer of fiction to it. Yeah. And But their most recent album is there's no concept to it it's just songs songs just songs how boring is that <laughs> and there's more of that content on this song too yeah on this on this album rather and i went to see them live about a month ago and he, he gave at least one maybe two speeches in the middle of the uh the show where he was sort of giving, giving background around about some of the songs he'd written oh okay that's weird <laughs> uh what it was like after the because it was it was a show where they played through an entire album and then oh, okay. they did a few scattered like different singles afterwards so yeah. there was time to speak during that and he sort of went on a whole thing about how you know like how much of his like not just his own like child's life but, like his family and, like his his niece's life and like how he wrote the song about her and like how he didn't want her to grow up because he was going to miss her growing up but he did miss her growing up so he literally, he literally said you know if you want to get in the music business consider being a manager and then he launched into a rip-roaring rock song <laughs> and like I, I don't think Andrew McMahon would go that far with it no. but if you make a song about how you hate leaving your family to go on tour and then I go and pay money to see you perform that song live during yeah. a tour like honestly kind of fuck you a little bit yeah like I don't want to I don't I mean I'm sure it's hard but like Sorry, man. Don't don't lecture me about it. Dead Man's Dollar is actually not a bad song. Yeah. But when it becomes explicitly about him, like you know, I don't know. I guess that's a real feeling, and I I I know understand the artistic need to express your actual life. I mean, I think for a lot of like smaller bands too, it it is super hard. Like going on tour is fucking hard. Like. I mean, I know once you've reached a certain level of fame, it's probably easier, but it's not a life I would want. Even if I didn't have, like, not that I have kids, not even if I don't have kids or, like, it just, I, I don't mind songs about that because while, yeah, I'm paying to see this person perform, I also get that, like, the parts that they're not doing this when they're performing in front of me, those parts probably suck a lot. <laughs> I get that, but don't you think there's like, especially in terms of the relationship between a singer and and the audience, there's another there's like another level you need to sort of take into account. I mean, I'm okay with it as long as they don't lecture me about it beforehand. Yeah, thanks, Claudio. Which uh, no band that I've ever seen has. So but you've seen bands like like do banter between songs, right? Yeah, yeah, but like like and Andrew does banter and stuff, and he'll sometimes be like, "I wrote the song when I was at this place in my life," and you guys know that, and but it's never like touring's really hard. I have to be with my family, and I'm super. I, I super hate it a lot. I wrote and, a song about it. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't. Is, I don't like bands and and performers that aren't gracious to the people that pay to see them. This is so, and, and I think writing a song about it is about how you miss your family when you're touring is different from lecturing your audience that you'd rather be at home with your family i know and i've, I've seen coheed like a, many times before and i never got that vibe but that's just become more of a thing in, in their music yeah. as time has gone on and so i'm very much just sort of still processing that and that's so dead man's dollar hit me a little bit too hard that way i'm sorry oh i do want to bring this up so today when you were listening to it you messaged me <laughs> oh yes, yes. <laughs> I feel like we should talk about this. We should we should address this. We should address it. Because yeah. I was, you know, doing some preliminary Wikipedia surfing. As and we do. And discovered that Andrew McMahon wrote uh three songs. Three songs. Three songs for the second season of Smash the TV show. That is correct. A fact I found objectively hilarious. A fact that I was unsurprised by once I once I thought about it. 
And I <laughs> perhaps I I realize that perhaps it's because I find the uh, existence of Smash the musical, the TV show, objectively hilarious, and I didn't realize there was any other like <laughs> mood towards it. I think my hold on, let me see if I can find my exact words I sent to Kelsey when I discovered this. <laughs> um, I believe, uh, and this is in all caps. I said, "Oh my God, Andrew McMahon wrote songs for Smash. What an idiot!" And I said, "Yeah, what an idiot." Getting nominated for an Emmy. Like, what a freaking moron. What a moron. What a dummy. Um, that song is pretty trash, though. I like that song. I, or you heard your voice in a dream? It's bit like, once once you said he wrote that song, I was like, oh, he totally wrote I Heard Your Voice in a Dream. Like, when you said he wrote a song for Smash, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like Andrew Man, like that song. I like... It sounds like a Christian rock song, though. It does a little bit. Once you said that, I was also like, well, fuck, that ruins it. Which I would not apply to any of his other music. No. I like Reach For Me, which he also wrote, um, better. Um, I just don't use, like, doesn't the culture at large look back on Smash as, like, a m- massive misfire and, like, wasted opportunity? I honestly don't know, because I didn't watch it until after it was over. And, like, I enjoyed it, but because I live here and I have friends who work in the business of musicals and, like... This business we call a show... And, and like, it it just had such a niche audience that it's, like, I don't know how it played, how it lasted two seasons. But, like, I liked a lot of the music, and I liked a lot of performers that were in it. And, like, the songs from the Marilyn Monroe musical, that's the fake one that's in it. That I think Bomb they're actually show. making it into a real musical now. They did a they did a, a one-night concert of it. They, they did, a, like, a three-night concert of Hit List, the, the other one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um... Of a fake musical. A fake musical, yes. I think you're. I think you're looking back on Smash in the wrong way. You're thinking of it as a, as a niche show for yeah. a niche audience. This was a massive like network show that ran in prime time for two straight years. Yeah. That, like millions and millions of people who have no connection to the theater world saw. That's so weird. And and I, I didn't think anyone liked it. My overall impression of it was that it was had had a lot of potential because I saw I watched the pilot and I thought it was great. Yeah. The second season was very good. Yeah, but the second season was like after they cut out like a bunch of like extraneous stuff, right? Yeah. The idea of the second season was like we're gonna get away from this like soapy stuff no one cares about and make a show about making a musical. Well, they also like the second season was like a huge to get like the the plot of the second season where there are two like competing musicals that are trying to be on Broadway. Um, they like skipped a whole bunch of steps in like the. <laughs> Uh, or like the the timeline of making musicals really sped up, like <laughs> from like five years, years to like five months. If only, right? We could cycle through a whole bunch of crap and in less time. Yeah. So, it, it was a weird show, but <laughs> the idea that Andrew McMahon just sort of intersected with that piece of of our Th- pop culture is, is weird. bizarre. It's very bizarre. Yes. That's that's why it's funny. Yeah. Because why? How did that happen? I don't know. Who did he know? That like, yeah, here's a, here's a meeting with you know NBC's, you know, talent scout or whatever. <laughs> you know, whatever. Like, he must have known somebody. I guess so. Somebody must have been like this guy. I mean, he makes songs that would that would work well for musicals, or well, sort of. That's sort of. he only wrote three songs for this fake musical. Yeah. He makes a lot of big soaring emotional numbers. Yeah. I can't see him doing doing very good with a plot song. Again, I point to the example of Cecilia and the Satellite. <laughs> a song that it sort of tells like six completely unrelated incidents and ties together with the idea that he loves his daughter. <laughs> which is fine, but like... Which is fine, yeah. Also, what is this fixation with... One of the first songs on your playlist that came up for me because it was on Shuffle Yeah. was uh, Strings and Hammers. Yeah. Which is a, a piano ballad. Yeah. It, it, it includes reference like him... You know, sort of being in old punk rock clubs. <laughs> and there's another line in Cecilia where he says he's been around the world in a punk rock band. Yeah. And like, did you? I think. Were you? I feel like that is a poetic hyperbole that just, that sounds better. Than been around the world in a pop punk band? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, man, you, you weren't. You can say you've been around the world in a reggae band if it sounds better. It doesn't make it true, Andrew. <laughs> I'm sorry. How's this? Is this anything? 
Andrew Favaloro in the wilderness. <laughs> is that anything? I don't think that's anything. <laughs> oh, Unless too... we just go leave Andrew in the woods somewhere. Andrew Jackson in the wilderness? Probably should have. Andrew Garfield in the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I hit it. That's probably a movie already, right? Um, Hacksaw Ridge? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See there, it was there. It was there. It was there. It there. <laughs> he, he needs to make his like Revenant style movie before I can really make that joke. Yeah, I'll get back into film criticism just to just to write make that the headline. Andrew Garfield in the joke. Uh, I would, I would, I would like to see Andrew McMahon try to write a musical. I feel, I, mean, I feel that way about like almost every musician I'm a fan of. Like, what would that be like? I don't know, because like I feel like some musicians have really like done well. Like I think Sarah Bell's music for. Waitress is amazing, and I think she did good with plot songs. And Cindy Lauper did amazing with like Cindy Lauper wrote what I consider like a really standard classic musical with Kinky Boots, and she did really well with plot songs. Um, and it's always interesting to see like a musician attempt that. What's an example where it sort of went the other way? I'm trying to think of that. Me too. Well, I think of I what comes to mind is more like jukebox musicals. Yeah. Because those are like. Where they force music yeah, into Yeah, which is not really the same at all, but so many yeah. of them are awful. I don't know. Did you see The Last Ship? The Sting one? <laughs> That's the one. Is that, is that a oh, I didn't man. see it, so I don't know how bad Garbage. it was. I didn't see it either, but like it you know, closed after like 30 days or something. It was terrible. So there's examples out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to think of like a thousand as soon as we stop recording. What? Uh... I know. But yeah, I, I guess I kind of feel that way about like every... Every musician I like to, I'm like, write a musical. Yeah, yeah, like, I, I, you know, there's, there's a constant sort of, uh, somewhat constant online push. Like, what if John Darnielle wrote a musical? Mm. Would it be good? I don't know. Would it be bad? I don't know. Problem is he can never, well, I shouldn't say this, but I can't imagine him writing a big group number. I guess not every show needs that, but I feel like to get a musical, like, finance day, you need one, like, big show-stopping you at least need to have, like, John Darnielle would write a Evan Hansen cast size musical, like a yes. seven person cast. Yes, that is accurate. Um, that's the other thing is, like, what kind of musical do you think that Andrew Man would write? Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Would it be, what would it be about? I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't seem to have much of an interest in, like, fantastical or, like, sci fi concepts. So right. I think it'd be kind of grounded. Yeah. Would it maybe be about like someone touring the world in a, in a, in a punk in rock a punk band? Rock band. <laughs> That's why a lot of his music is about like traveling and finding yourself yeah. and the pitfalls of that sort of life and the highs and lows of yeah. of youth. I think that would definitely be a, a, a car slash road trip conceit of some kind. I'd see that show. Yeah. In conclusion, you liked it. I liked it. Cue, cue the sound effects. Cue the applause. Ooh, yeah. Celebrate good times. Come, Come on. on. Come on. Come on. Celebrate good times. It's not a good day, though, because I canceled Sunset. Oh. <laughs> oh. Why'd you have to bring me down like that, Kelsey? I'm sorry. It was they, the only good show. They canceled the only good show. <sighs> it's, a rough, it's a rough time for us. It's a really rough time. So I'm glad I got to introduce you to that. Do you think that you will add some Andrew McMahon projects to your rotation of, of music? Most definitely. Most definitely. I definitely am going to grab uh, everything in transit. Yes. Throw that onto the old iPod. Nice. Probably um, one of the Something Corporate albums. Yeah. Definitely the one um, that has Woke Up in a Car on it. That's one of my favorite songs. That's my jam. That was my favorite song on the whole playlist. Really? Yes. It's a real good song. You played it... Um, at the last concert I went to. Oh, I would die. It was real good. I would die. And that was when I was like, okay, who's really a fan here? <laughs> I would take a break from this this moment of genuine catharsis, sort of side-eye everyone in the crowd. Basically. And I've, it I've, felt done, real I've good. done that. <laughs> and then I went back to my catharsis. I would side-eye way more people at concerts if I didn't have to also like run the risk of them like seeing me doing that. <laughs> uh, it was also there's some really annoying people next to us, and I was just like, Oh, well, I, need, I need an excuse to side at them. What were they doing? I'm I'm just I'm so fascinated by bad concert behavior. I want to hear what they did. It was like two dudes who were clearly there because their girlfriends dragged them there, and oh, we're man. just we're like, <laughs> come on, 
brushing into spaces that weren't I'm like there's not space to stand here you can't stand here I'm already here but you're bigger than me and don't push me out of the way I'm also like tore up emotionally because that last Kohichu had a bunch of like drunk bros at it that I'd never seen before like they would like leave for a while and then like when the song they liked come on would like rush through like shove people aside to get to the front where the pit was it's a weird vibe I don't like it yeah Special thanks to Dania Bowd of the Weeping Willage for use of their song Outside in the Rain for our theme song. And special thanks to Carly Sussman who designed our logo. Thanks, guys. Woo. And to you, the listener, uh, if you want to take a second to review or just rate us on iTunes. That would or, be... Or both even. That'd be great. Really awesome. Yeah. We I mean, would like that. Don't feel pressured. Do whatever you want, but like, you know. And hey, if you want to ruin our lives... Give us a shout. I'll see if you just want to be on the show. Yeah, let us know. Yeah. We're we got on, space. We're on Facebook, Twitter. Twitter. Hit us up. I think like, we have an email. <laughs> we do. I don't know if it's really, that's probably not necessary. Yeah. Just hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, come on. You, you, yeah, anything, really. Seriously. Yeah. Also, if you like Jason talking about music, you should listen to the 40 Ounce. Oh, stop. Stop. Jason's other podcast about pop music, or top 40 music. A podcast I do with former, uh, Ruined My Life guest, Daniel Dockery. Yeah. Uh, it comes out every other Friday. So if there's a Friday when this show is coming out, that show is coming out. Yeah. If this one's not coming out, that one is. And you know something to tide you over that, 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 little, that stretch? That's yeah. the one for you. It's on iTunes. You should get it. Get it. Yeah, check it out. Check it out. And from all of us here at Ruin My Life Studios. <laughs> happy happy holidays. holidays. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me only I can mention me. Only I can mention me. So that's the podcast. I guess we'll uh, keep talking. We're going to keep talking? Battery's going to run out soon. We have to buy another one. I'm a real procrastinator, so I probably won't do that for a while. Why are we still talking? So until the next time, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been interesting. I'm so confused. But I'm glad we have her done. I'm so confused. Ruined my life. Why are we Andrew still talking? McMahon. What have you done? Do you have a goof queued up? I'm so confused. That was, that was the goof. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got it now. <laughs> it took me a second. Oh, damn it. <laughs>